Amen. And here will hold together when this has no understanding of it. Amen. All right, so, and then deception will run rampant. So beware that you be not fooled. What I said, do not be deceived. Do not let the spirit of confusion come a hold to you. Because also in the spirit of confusion, there is a, there is a release of emotional upheaval. I mean, a lot of times your emotions, the things that you're going through, the fears that you're facing, they are not rational. And they're not even spiritual or they're not to be there. So what the Lord is saying, there's going to be all of this that is released at the same time that these events are happening. Verse 5 says, For many will appear on the scene claiming my authority or saying about themselves, I am God's anointing, and they will lead many astray. Verse 6, But you will hear of wars nearby and revolutions on every side and more rumors of wars to come. It said, Don't panic. Man, in the midst midst of everything that's going on in the world right now, there is such an upheaval. I mean, even in our own nation, racial tension, wars, battles, riots taking place. Do you understand? He said, don't panic. Don't be caught up in that. That's what he said. Don't be caught up in that. Don't panic or give in to your fears. I noticed what he said. Don't give in to your fears. There's a recognition that there's, there's this emotional upheaval is to bring fears. There's going to be a release of fears in you. But we've got to have confidence. David said, when I am afraid, I'm going to still trust. When my head is afraid, my heart is going to continue to believe. I'm going to trust you, God, no matter what I'm facing. Amen? And so, said, don't panic or give in to your fears, for the breaking apart of the world system is destined to happen. But it won't yet be the end. It will still be unfolding. Now, what the Bible, people said, well, end time events, that means Jesus is coming tomorrow. Not necessarily. I look for him to come tomorrow, but we may have an occurrence of end time events for our next thousand years. Because these events are to get what the, God is using the devil's own hand and using the birth pains of this earth that we live on to try to get the attention of believers. To try to get us to look back at the source of everything and the one that can still hold it up and together by the word of his power. Amen. Oh, it says nations will go to war against each other and kingdoms against kingdoms. That's exactly. Not only are the nations fighting, but the kingdoms talking about political persuasions are, are against each other. Just like the, the political persuasion of communism. That would try. That doesn't have to do anything to do with one country. It has to do with a, tra- a train of thought. It's a persuasion. It's a kingdom basis, and there will be a terrible and there will be terrible earthquakes, seismic events of epic proportion, horrible epidemics, and famines in place after place. Can you say that's exactly what's happening? That's exactly. There we're we're engaged in one of those epidemics right now. And verse 8 said, this is how the first contractions. Well, I said, this is the birth pain. This is the beginning of the sorrows. This is the beginning of these birth pains. Well, they really began at the moment that Jesus began to speak this. Signs of the times began at that moment and they're still continuing. But as it's just like a woman that's having a baby. The closer she gets to delivery, the, the, uh, the closer together the contractions come. And what's going to happen as we move toward the coming of Jesus, these epidemics, these famines, 
the wars, they're going to get constant. And we've got to be prepared because they're not to shake a strong believer. <laughs> Amen? We've got to be able to make a stand and trust the Lord. Alright, and then it says, this is how the first contractions will be. Now verse 11. It said, there, there will be an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. I mean, there has been an enrage toward lawlessness and there has been a, such a movement toward sin. Uh, do you know the, the, worst, the worst thing, the worst philosophy that accompanies homosexuality? The worst philosophy that accompanies homosexuality is this, is that God makes mistakes. And I'm here to tell you God never makes a mistake. The first, the first, the first, the greatest philosophy that surrounds homosexuality is God made a mistake with me. Therefore, I can't trust him because he will make mistakes in the future. I'm here to tell you God doesn't make a mistake at the beginning and he's not going to make a mistake at the ending. Amen? Amen. Verse 12 says, keep your hope to the end. Everybody say, I'm going to keep my hope to the end. And you will experience life and deliverance. Do you see that promise? It said, if we will continue to trust God, God's going to bring us out. Amen. Verse 14. Now, it's real important to, to see these things in verse 14. Uh, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. The sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. It said to pay attention and to recognize what he said. Then instruction is given. What Jesus is fixing to expound to us that during the last day's events, there must be also an instruction of how we can overcome it. If I fail to receive the instruction... The believer is not guaranteed to overcome it. That's why the Bible just said, those that have a continued work of faith are those that are going to be delivered. Now, you're going to go to heaven, and everybody wins when we all go to heaven. But if I'm going to win out over this particular last day event that's taking place, then I've got to be open to the Lord. And there's such a, there's such a, there's, there's such immaturity that, that goes along with these things of this proportion. And you hear people say like, God's got it. What does that mean? God's got it. What does that mean? The Bible and Jesus is teaching right here that is strictly dependent upon me following God's instruction if I'm going to make it through this season. Now I'll make it to heaven. Somebody shout a praise that you're going to get to go to heaven whether you make it through whatever it is now or not. But if I'm going to make it through the different events that's taking place, I'm going to have to be in a place where I can hear from the Lord. So that's what Jesus is beginning to teach here. Alright, verse 16, he said, When you see this abomination of desolation, which is a desecration to the temple of God, which took place about 33 A.D., it's already happened. And then it said, Then those, and then instruction is given how they were to make it. The Roman army is getting ready to attack. 
And Jesus said, when you see a sign that's going to reveal, when they come into the temple and they desecrate the temple, then he gives them instructions. And the instructions was this. He said, then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Now history records that they did this. That the believers that heard Jesus say this and those that were told after that, they did exactly this. They say that day that they came in and they put a desecrated thing in the temple, the, the Roman army was standing ready to engage and to carry them all into bondage, into slavery. But the believers knew what to do. And they didn't just say, God's got it. Because if they would have said, God's got it, Nero would have had them for lunch. That's because they realized they had to follow the instruction of the Lord. Because they began to flee out immediately. They say thousands of Christians that knew what was happening, at that very moment they were told not to go back to their house, not to come down, to had immediately to flee to the mountains. History records that thousands and thousands of Christians that day ran and thousands of thousands of those lived and the rest of the people were carried into bondage and slavery and death. So instructions are given. Everybody say instructions are given. Verse 18, a person out in the field must not return. Verse 19, how terrible it will be for the pregnant women and for nursing mothers. Inconvenience is a part of last day events. And Jesus said here, if you're pregnant, it's going to be harder on you. Well, this pandemic said, if you're older, it's going to be harder on you. We've got to understand the inconvenience is the thing. But believers are strong when it comes to inconvenience. Because we have a strength of spirit. That's why, that's why we don't mock the mask. That's why that, that we wear And I, I asked him in the early service this morning. I said, I you begin to enjoy it. Begin to laugh at it. I mean, what, what other time could we look this bad? <laughs> because believers, they have a strength in them. It's a strength to, for you. You're not wearing the mask for you, Lance. You're wearing it for me. Because I'm old, you know. I mean, you're wearing it for me and you're caring about me. But believers respond best when they're doing acts of love for people that they care about for the glory of God. Amen? So instructions is given. So I want to close with this. I want to close with things that I can do. I'm going to give you quick things that you can do to be able to handle the issue that we're in. Now the issue that we're in may be that because of your, of your job that's closed because of what's taking place. Jeremy in one week's time had every client that he had because all of his clients were dealing with entertainment. Every client that he had uh, quit within one week or so. So maybe your jobs, and I only say that to say this, maybe your job is experiencing the same thing. So uh, this issue of last day experience is one of these famines that you're going through. Maybe it's the pandemic. Maybe it's the, the concern that you have over that. Uh, maybe that it's, it's in the racial tension because you've seen such an injustice 
But whatever it is, all of those are last day events. And they're going to get more and more common. So us being able to deal with them right will mean our ability to overcome them and not just go to heaven when we die. The first thing is we have to make a decision. The first thing every person has to, you have to make a decision how you're going to handle this. And you've got to make a decision, I'm going to trust God. I want to read you a quick scripture, Psalms 33, verse 2, it says, keep trusting in the Lord. Well, that's our answer. I'm afraid, pastor. But what's the answer? I'm afraid. But what's the answer? Keep trusting God. <laughs> That's what verse 33 says. says. Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in His eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure, is what it said. So what are you as a believer going to do? You're going to keep trusting God. When everything, when a thousand falling at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, what are you going to do? You're going to keep trusting God. When everybody says, what are you going to put bread, how are you going to put bread on your table? What are you going to do? I'm going to keep trusting God. When fear and depression is trying to take a hold of you, what are you going to do? You're going to keep trusting God. When everything is going bottom up in your life, what are you going to do? You're going to keep trusting God. We're going to keep trusting God to bring us through. Amen. Now it must be the standard. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's got to be our measuring stick or the standard. The litmus test must be this. My trust for God. Every thought that I have, every feeling that I feel, it must, it must be weighed against my standard, my, my, uh, my constant. I'm trusting God. And therefore, then it becomes the strainer. In every thought that I think, it becomes a strainer in every feeling that I feel. It also becomes a strainer in every action that I do. There's not a one of us that can allow the devil to infiltrate our minds at this time. We're in a great wash, a sign of the last time. And during this, we cannot be affected. We can only be affected by the Word of God, the Word of His promise. Amen. Amen. So it becomes the standard for our thought lives. In fact, 2 Corinthians, it says, we capture every thought. Capture it. Janet, that's where you are right now, the capturing of those thoughts. The Bible says that we capture every thought and we make it, I love this version, and make it give up to obey Christ. I'll kick you in the shins, I'll punch you in the elbow, I'll give you an uppercut, I'll give you a karate chop, whatever I have to do, I'm going to make you come in to the, th the thoughts of Christ. I'm going to make you obey the Lord. Amen? Amen. If I was to ask any of you that serve in, in any kind of leadership on your job, if you have, if you have people on your job that you trust... And then I'm sure that most of you would say, sure I do. Well, let me ask you this. Can you trust them without checking on it? Because it goes beyond trust. They have to prove themselves trustworthy. Well, I'm here to tell you, God has proven himself trustworthy. He has never failed you. He has never let you down. And God never will. Can you say amen? Give the heart a hand clap if you believe that. Praise God. The second thing you got to do, you got to do the work. 
you got to do the work. It, it takes work. If, 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 I'm, if I'm going to make that decision, I'm going to trust God no matter what, then that means I've got to do some work. I mean, promises just don't jump out of that page. I mean, if you're going to give some kind of, well, God's got this. If you're going to, well, you know, flipping like that, that's not going to win your victory. That's not going to come through for you. What you've got, there's only one thing that is able to cut through the devil's tactic that he's assigned against you. And that is the sword of the Spirit. It says the Word of God. Amen. So you, we, we've got to claim the promise. That's the work. Uh, whatever that means. Uh, I've got to claim the promise. Whatever that takes. Whatever it is that I'm going through, there is promises that, that tell me. In fact, in the Bible, there's 7,467 promises from God. That's a lot of promises. In fact, and there's 991 instances of a person promising another person. And in fact, there are nine promises that the devil's made in the Word. But none of them have good, good endings. Amen. So I must do the work. Whatever the work is, I must, that, I must get the promise and then I must get the promise off of that page into my heart. It will not work for me. There is something called covenant with God. And for you to have a covenant over your family, if not, God's got this. If you're going to have a covenant over your family or if you're going to have a covenant over your life, that means you have to find the promise and you have to be boldly declaring that promise over your family. When you boldly declare it over your family, it establishes or ratifies a covenant over your life. If not, you just go to heaven when you die. So we've got the choice that if, if this covenant is going to work for me, in the Old Testament... The Hebrews would take the letter, the sheen. It was a tooth. It was a picture of a tooth of a lion. And they would put that on their houses, over their houses. And then, of course, we know that in Exodus chapter 12, where they plied the blood over the doorposts of the house. There is a ratifying of God's covenant that you must do over your family if you're going to see them protected by God. And it's not God's got this. God's got this if I've got this. Amen. So I've got to first get this. And if I'll get this, then God's got this for His glory. Amen. So everybody say, do the work. I must do the work. And in fact, I want to real quickly tell you, there's three major ways God's going to give you a promise. And you've got to hear the word of the Lord. You've got to hear that promise. This is what God kept telling me. He said, Jerry, if you, if you want the, your people that you love so much, if you want them protected, which are my people, you said you must go there today and tell them they must do the work. They must do the work, whatever it takes, to find that promise and then get that promise out of that page. And because as long as it's on that page, it will not work for them. It will not happen for them. But they must get that, they must get it out of that page and they must get it into their heart. But if they will get it into their heart, it will ratify that covenant and I will get to put, I will get to be a sheen over their house. I'll get to be a lion of the tribe of Judah that will be able to protect them and guard them and keep them. I'm going to tell you what, honey. You can get misled all you want to, but the deception of the enemy is that this is a physical war. This thing is more than a physical war. This is a spiritual war that's taking place. And it takes spiritual weaponry if you're going to win a spiritual war for the glory of God. Amen? All right, quickly. First thing is a scripture promise. Everybody say a scripture promise. 
The first way God's going to give me is a scripture promise. That means I must do the work. To do the work to hear a scripture promise, then I must, I must get into the word. I must find that. There's 7,000 of them there, but I've got to find the one that deals with my situation and my circumstance. I've got to do what it takes. Now, if you're a reader, that's not hard for you. If you're a non-reader like me, that's extremely hard for you. If you're a non-reader like myself, then what that means is we've got to do something that does not come natural to us. And we've got to get scriptures that tell me what God promises me if I'm going to see it as a covenant of my mouth. Why everybody say a scripture promise? The second way that God gives me a promise is a whispered promise. God not only gives me a scripture promise, but he gives me a whispered promise. This is found in 1 Kings chapter 19 when, when uh, Elijah was there before the Lord needing to hear from God so bad and God did not give him a Bible. What God did give him was a whisper of a promise. Now the whispers that God tells you, they have to coincide with the scripture promises in the word of God. You understand? If God tells you something, honey, I've had people come and tell me the craziest stuff that they said that God said to them. It was against the Word. It was against Scripture. It was against morality. It was against everything that they could. Now, no one said that person heard wrong. That's why I told you earlier that there's nine promises, nine places in the Bible where the devil promises something. You have to understand, not only does God whisper, but the devil whispers also. And you've got to know the Word of God enough to know whether this is a God whisper or a devil whisper. And if it's a God's whisper, honey, you've got something you can take to the bank. You've got something you can win your battle with. You've got something you can come out of your dilemma with. You've got something you can come over with if you've got God's whispers in your life. Amen? All right, the third way that God gives you a promise is the prophetic promise. And that's one of the major reasons that God allows the church of Jesus to come together. He allows the church of Jesus to come together so that God may speak to others. That's just why God sent me here today. I'm going to tell you what, you may not can get it on YouTube. You may not can find it. But I know as your pastor, God spoke to my heart to bring you these scriptures today. It won't be the best message you've ever heard, but it will be your message that you need to hear. You hear? Because I'm your pastor, honey. Nobody else can fill that role. Now, Brother William's your pastor. Brother Donald's your pastor. Elaine's your pastor. But I'm your pastor. And you can, you can find a lot of different voices out there, but you have a pastor's voice that God puts in a special place. God says He gives me the ability to watch for your soul. God gives pastors the ability to watch for your soul. And in that, in that sense, that God gives the prophetic promise. The prophetic promise comes by way of God speaking to somebody on your behalf. Again, it must line up with God's word or it's not worth two cents. If somebody comes to you and says, you know, I have a word from the Lord for you. The first thing you're obligated to do is you to go find the Bible and find out if it's on basis of Scripture. If what they've told you is according to Scripture. I had a guy one time, he came to me and he said, God told me he's going to give me that house. Well, I, I, that's something God can or cannot do. I mean, I mean, it may be God or it may not be God. But I watched that brother because that brother began to move into deception from that point. I watched his life tumble, his family tumble, and eventually death come forth. 
You understand, you've got to know that what you're hearing. And if you're receiving words from people, you've got to know that they have a rock-solid basis of the Word of God. If what you're telling me does not have a basis of the Word of God, you need to throw it out, honey. That's, that's the, the baby didn't need to go out with that bathwater. And you need to throw it out and get it away from you. Because God wants to give you a sure word. Everybody say a sure word. God wants to give you a sure word. I cannot tell you how many hundreds of times that I have been standing in this front worshiping God with you. And when I was worshiping God with you, I was standing there in an immediate crisis myself. Only God would possibly know. Maybe Elaine would know. And I cannot tell you how many times that God has used you. That you would simply come up, maybe touch my elbow and say, Jerry, I don't understand this. I just got a word from the Lord for you. And I, you have given me words that has won thousands of victories and thousands of battles on my behalf. I praise God for the church that is able to give a prophetic word into your life. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Let's stand together, could we? Lord, we just say thank you for the presence of the Lord. And thank you for your goodness. And thank you for your preciousness, Lord. I do mention that there's, there's, there's ten of these that I had, but, but I, I don't, but I'm going to mention the third one because I just felt that there was somebody here today that, that needed the third one. I'm just going to mention it. And the third one is that the third thing that you can do is you can develop the discipline. And I, felt, I, I feel that as we move into prayer, you need to develop discipline. That's up to you. You've got to develop the discipline to be in God's presence on a daily basis. The word presence, the, the, you know, there's not, a word in the, there's not a word in the Old Testament. There's not a Hebrew word for presence. Not as we understand it. There, it, it it's, it's, it's the word face that is translate, translated presence. What it says is, God calls you to his face. And God is speaking to our heart. If we're going to see this thing changed, there must be a discipline developed in our life of getting into the presence of God, getting into his face on a daily basis. Now, I know a little bit of it that that means when God says, Get into my face. In my presence is the fullness of joy. In the presence of God is victory forevermore. Jesus wins. Chris McRae preached a message at Victory Christian School. I believe last year, a year before last. And Chris said, I want to tell you the secret of God blessing your life and God giving you a happy life. He said, when you can't do anything else, get in the presence of God every day. And if you would just simply sit or stand in the presence of God every day, then God will make allowances for you. And it will open up doors that you can't open. And it will shut doors to the enemy that you can't shut. And God will prove to you just how strong he is for the glory of God. Can you say amen? It says, get in my face or get in my presence talking about this part of the face right here. That means every day God's calling us to get close enough to Him where we can hear those whispers from His ears. You know, earlier this morning I was really in a dilemma. I got up extremely early today. 
I had one of those times, one of those nights, God, when the presence of God, and I, I, but I was in crisis mode this morning before the Lord. And I said, Lord, I don't know how to fight this. I, I don't know how to win this. I don't know how to overcome except trusting you. And I tell you what, somewhere in the midst of my cry, it moved me into the presence of God. And all of a sudden, a gentle whisper started. And my life has now changed. Because what the whispers of God can do in the midst of whatever you're facing or whatever you're going through. How many need the whisper from God today? You need to hear a whisper from the Lord? If you need to hear a whisper of the Lord, I want you to shut those big old eyes of yours. I want you to do some mode of moving your hands toward the answer, your source. Just some mode of moving your hands toward Him. And just saying, God, I can't make it without you. I can't make it without you, God. I can't make it without you. I can't make it without you. I can't figure out what to do. 